0: All right, so we're in the Jesus Creed. We're now week uh, what is it, week four, I believe, of the Jesus Creed. And we've been talking about what this Jesus Creed is and why it's so important. And and um, and 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 how can we spend six weeks talking about the Jesus Creed? And and listen, we've we have plenty more to talk about still. There's there, this is there's so much in this. And, and this, this Jesus Creed that we find in, in Mark, that he writes down specifically what Jesus says, and, he, he, Jesus answers the question, "What's the most important of all the commands, of all the things God has ever said to us? What's the most important?" And his response is the Jesus Creed. And so we've been doing this each week. Each Sunday we show up, and we've, we're going to do it again. Ready? Here's, this is it. Your quiz number, what a quiz number three, or whatever it is. Okay, here it is on the screen. We're going to say this together. We took out some more blanks. Um, uh, I anticipate we're going to get the first part really well, and then we're going to work hard at the second part. We're going to get it. We're going to get it. Let me just tell you, first service, ready? They nailed it. I mean, it's not a competition, but if it were, they nailed it. Okay? All right, here we go. Here, oh, it's not a competition so it doesn't matter okay listen everyone does their best that's what matters uh, good so we got the love of the Lord your God you got that part you, you nailed it the last part okay let's just do it the second is this love your neighbor as yourself there is no commandment greater than these good 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 okay next week next week we're gonna nail it we only got two more opportunities. You got two more tries. Um, so here's the deal. And the reason we do this isn't because, like as funny and silly as it is, it really is so that we can internalize it. We memorize it. We learn it. And it becomes a part of us, and, and because again, remember our homework. If you've been coming um, each week, our homework isn't just to memorize it, but it's also then to recite it, and and twice, like every day, in the morning and in the evening. We'll talk about it again later, like what we can do. Um, but but it this this really does have this really does have the power to change you. Not because it's some magic, like, you know, prayer or verses, but because it puts, it reorients every day your mind on what Jesus calls the greatest commandments. So Jesus talks about this and he talks about, right? We've been looking at kind of like two axes or two, like two, um, two focuses, so to speak. And the first is to love the focus, the vertical focus, to love God with all that you are all your heart all your, all your soul all your mind all your strength and then the, the second is a horizontal focus in which you love your neighbor as yourself and Jesus says that is what it means to be a follower of, 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 of God that's what it means to experience spiritual formation we have talked about this that's what it means to be a mature believer to so love God with all that you are and to love your neighbor as yourself now Today we're talking about kind of society in the creed or culture in the creed. And what does that look like? What would it look like if everyone was living out the Jesus creed? What would it look like, and what could we call that, if all of us were living out and loving God with all of, all of ourselves, all of our being, and loving our neighbor as ourself? And we were doing that like... Perfectly. Now, again, this is a hypothetical and it's the, it's the goal that we're shooting for. Of course we're going to fail, but what would it look like? And what could we call that thing? Jesus, interestingly enough, he spoke about that. He gives us the answer and he talks a lot about what this thing is called. The Jesus Creed, we could say, fully realized or actualized or fully lived out, is what Jesus calls the kingdom. It's not the church, it's so much, it's more than the church. It's not like, like a, a specific people, it's not a building or a property, it's not a program, it's not, it's not any of that. It's so much more than that. And Jesus, he calls it the kingdom. He, he talks a lot about the kingdom. In fact, Jesus mentions, he mentions the kingdom over a hundred times in the Gospels where he talks about this specific thing, which is such a weird, a weird terminology because we don't use kingdom anymore. We do, like, that's uh, like, like medieval times. And when you think of kingdom, like, what you think of is the right thing. A kingdom of like, you, uh, like rulers who rule over this kingdom and every kingdom needs a king, right? It's the first part of the word. And, and so this kingdom also has a king and so they're in charge of all of it. And, and so, all right, Jesus, why are you talking about kingdom? So here's what he says. This is, again, all over the Gospels. We're just gonna do just a real brief snapshot just, just to prove the point that Jesus really talked about the kingdom a lot. Here's what he says in Matthew chapter six. This is the Sermon on the Mount. And, uh, and specifically, this is the Lord's Prayer when they're like, all right, how should we pray? Okay, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, you probably know this, hallowed be your name. And then here's the first request Jesus makes. Our Father, hallowed be your name. Praise you. Okay, ready? Your kingdom come. The first ask that he makes, this is how you should pray. This is the, the model by which all of you should pray from here on out. Ready? And the first thing you ask for isn't that your needs be met. It isn't that you would experience like a, a, a God in a particular way. Here it is. Ready? That your kingdom come. First request. Jesus is talking and asking and praying for and about the kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, you have your kingdom and you have your will and you have it in heaven. And here's the request that Jesus says, this is what you and I should be praying for, that that kingdom and that will comes to earth. That we experience it here on earth as it is in heaven. That is no small feat. That's a big ask. We see this in Mark chapter 1, um, and, and by the way, um, the Mark chapter 1 is the first chapter in Mark. Did you know that? It's important. It's actually important in the chronology. Um, so, so what we're about to read is the beginning of Mark's gospel, and he writes kind of chronolo- chronologically. So he's writing about the beginning of the life and the ministry of Jesus. So what we're about to read happens before everything else you think of and know of about Jesus. So all of the miracles, all of the traveling, all the preaching, all the sermons, um, uh, certainly the last week, certainly before his death, burial, and resurrection, all of, all of that is still future because we're in Mark chapter 1, the beginning. Literally, the first few verses of Mark's gospel. And let's look at what, what he writes and what Jesus says. He's quoting Jesus now. The first thing he says, the beginning, beginning of Jesus' ministry... And Jesus says this The time has come He, Jesus said The kingdom of God Is near The kingdom of God has come near The first thing He says All right, guys Here it is It's time It's time now for me to go into ministry Because, ready The kingdom of God Has come near And then he says this Repent And believe The good news Or the Gospel Gospel literally means good news now, I, I remember this. Um, again, I became a Christian later, so I didn't grow up in church. So, you know, I've said this before. Every time I read a verse, it was the first time I read it. It was the first time I've heard it. It was like all new to me. And I remember reading this and being kind of confused. And I remember my youth pastor in a in a small group setting, he goes, all right, so what's the gospel? And I go, oh, that's easy, man. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Like, that's great. That's, that's like what I put my faith in. That's like, I'm all in this gospel. Let's do it. And he goes, all right, open up to Mark chapter one. I'm like, all right, well, that's easy to find, Mark chapter one. And he goes, all right, let's look at what Jesus says. The kingdom of God has come near repent and believe the gospel. What? And he goes, all right, what's the gospel? I go, well, death, burial, and resurrection. He goes, that hasn't happened yet. What is Jesus preaching? He's not preaching his death, burial, and resurrection. They don't even know who this guy is. What is the gospel? And I'm like, ah, man, I don't know, just tell me the answer. Right, you ever get those where you're like, I don't know, clearly you know more than I, just tell me what you're supposed to know. And there was one of those moments, because I, I go, I thought that was a softball. Hey, what's the gospel? Oh, easy, man, I'm gonna, this is no, no problem. I, I'll take this. What is he, he goes, what is he preaching about? I don't know, whatever the, what the kingdom of God is, he goes, okay, now we're on to something, aren't we? The kingdom of God is parallel and, and alongside of this good news. So what Jesus is preaching is not death, burial, and resurrection. It's more than that. It's that the kingdom has now come. And this is now repent and believe this good news. All right, so Jesus is preaching the kingdom. Literally from right out the gate, from the beginning of his ministry, he's preaching the kingdom. In Matthew chapter six, again, back to uh, like his... his um, sermon on the mountain is preaching he's talking about worry and how you shouldn't worry you don't need to worry and and who by worrying can add a single hour to his life and uh, don't worry about what you will wear or, or, uh, or what you will eat because God takes care of the birds and the lilies of the field and all this stuff. And he says in his conclusion to this, ready? So don't worry about your stuff. He says your, your heavenly father knows your needs even before you need it. Even before you ask, he knows what you need. So here's what you do instead, ready? Instead of worrying about what you need, here's what you do, you ready? But seek first his kingdom. What? So Jesus says don't worry about anything. Here's what you're supposed to do. Ready? Seek his kingdom above all else. Seek his kingdom. His kingdom? What? What is that? Seek first, he says, his kingdom and his righteousness. And then all these things will be given to you as well. All the stuff you're worried about and concerned about, God's going to provide for you, but you worry about his kingdom. All right, Jesus. Clearly, clearly the kingdom is important to you. A chapter later, Jesus says this and this is one of the most I think I think the scariest passages in all of scripture he says this in in Matthew 7 verse 21 not everyone who says to me Lord Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven Jesus literally says not everyone who comes to me and says hey Jesus what's up Lord Lord my Lord he says not all of them are going to get to the kingdom Oh not everyone makes it in no not everyone makes it in not even people who think they're getting in no there's some who think they're getting in and they're not going to make it in well how do we know he says well they won't enter the kingdom but only the one who does the will of my father i wonder what that will is right i wonder if we've been talking about it for three weeks now The Jesus creed of loving God and loving others. I wonder, I wonder if Jesus has all of this in mind when he's talking about the kingdom. A few chapters later, Mark tells us, or Matthew tells us specifically about what Jesus is doing and and how he's like going place to place. And he says, This Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming, here it is again the good news, the gospel of the kingdom. Not of the death, burial, resurrection. It's much more than that. The good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. This is incredible. And if you go to Israel, we're we're planning an Israel trip for next year. It'll be the beginning of next year. We're still working out details, but as soon as it's finalized, we'll let you all know and you'll be able to sign up. Um, And and if you go to, to Israel, when you go to Israel... Um, you can you can you can see what Jesus did and where he went, and you're going around the Sea of Galilee, and it's still it's still very much kind of how it was back then. It's I mean there's cities and stuff, but it's still very very rural, and it's, there's hills, and it's it's beautiful. It's my favorite place in Israel, and and you can go and you can see the villages, and you can you know w- thankfully we don't we get a nice air conditioned bus, so we don't have to walk everywhere like Jesus did. But we'll we'll go to the different sites, and you'll see synagogues that they found that they've excavated and, and like they have the remains of and. And you go, and, there we go. And, and you can, see, and here's what's incredible. This was incredible for me. We went to one of them on this hillside that's incredible. It's like, they call it the camel's, the camel's hump because it's like this weird hill in the middle of nowhere. And they put up synagogue and you're like, how do you even get there? Let alone build a synagogue. And this synagogue that was first century. So they say undoubtedly Jesus preached at that synagogue. And here's the deal, ready? It can fit about, about 30 people. That's it. When we think of Jesus going town to town, village to village, you know, preaching in the synagogues, it's not like this where he's showing up and there's a couple hundred people. I mean, the big ones later would be hundreds of people. This one, 30, he'd be going village to village and 30 people, 20 people, 60 people. A big one, there's a hundred people. At this in Magdala, there's a big synagogue there. It's, it's probably maybe half the size of this room. All right, we can get a hundred people in here. Jesus goes there. Jesus, like this verse it's, it's a very kind of small, short verse, but this says a lot. Man, it says that he's busy. He is busy. And, and what is he preaching? Everywhere he goes, to, to 20 people, to 30 people, to 50 people, what is he preaching? The good news of the kingdom. Man, he's preaching the kingdom a lot. Everywhere. Matthew tells us, he, all the stuff, all the things he could talk about, he's preaching about the kingdom. In Luke, we see this. Um, that that Jesus is going to be asked specifically by the Pharisees about this kingdom. It says this Luke seventeen. Once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied. The Pharisees show up and they're like, "All right, when is this kingdom of God coming?" Probably like what you were thinking of when we think of the kingdom of God, right? And and here's what here's what Jesus replied, verse twenty. The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation. Listen, it doesn't come because you're looking for it. Instead, he says, nor will people say, here it is, or, or there it is, because the kingdom of God, he says, is within you. All right, so, so this is more than just like a place. Like when we think of kingdom of God or we hear kingdom of heaven, certainly kingdom of heaven, we think kingdom of God, we think of what heaven will be like and like the place where we go and like, like when we're with Jesus and, and God forever, that's the kingdom. But here and now we have to wait for it. And what Jesus seems to be saying is, no, 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 actually the kingdom of God is at hand and it's near and he goes around preaching about the kingdom and how you can be a part of the kingdom and what it looks like. And he says, and this kingdom, oh, by the way, it's not like a, like a kingdom on earth where you think of like a king who rules and they have their place and like their territory and, and they got to make treaties and there's wars. No, no, no. This kingdom, ready, is within you. What? This kingdom is like a part of you. This is a different kind of kingdom than, than we think of when we think of human kingdoms. So Jesus, he, he talked all about the kingdom. And what is the kingdom then? Here it is, ready? Here's the answer. You, you're waiting for the answer. You're, you're sitting in there going, all right, just tell me. All right, here it is, ready? The kingdom is this. It's life as God wants it. It's life, we could say, as it should be. So anytime we see life as it should be, being corrected or whatever it may be, that is God, what Jesus says is the kingdom. And it can come here on, on earth as it is in heaven because in heaven, it's exactly as God wants it. Of course it is. He's, it's in his presence. And he's saying, what we want is that here. And, and the kingdom then is anywhere and anytime life as God wants it shows up and, 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 and you get a glimpse of it. And it's within us. Oh. So the kingdom is both here and now and is also future. It is future. There is like a point where we're, all right, we will make it into like the kingdom of heaven, but the kingdom of God is all of it. And it's including you right here, right now. So let's talk about this morning, the kingdom and the over, kind of the overarching values of the kingdom. All right, when we talk about the kingdom, the kingdom of God, what does it look like? What would it look like? What should it focus on? What what does it value um, and, and pursue? All right. So there's three things I think that we're going to pull out this morning that that seem to be kind of the three of the core main values within the kingdom. The first, kingdom-minded people value justice. It's kind of a weird one. I saw a quote this week, and it said, it said, justice is the foundation for all kingdoms. And that you can't have a kingdom without justice. In fact, what you look for in a king is a just king who does what's right and he rights wrongs. And if you have an unjust king, it's only a matter of time before someone comes and like takes him out, right? Like we need to replace this guy. Assassinate him. Move him on. Because without a set, without a, 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 a set standard of right and wrong and making wrongs right, you can't effectively rule people and have a good kingdom, a long-lasting kingdom. So we could say this. Ready? That if God is creating a, a perfect kingdom, then, then it requires perfect justice. That God's perfect kingdom requires perfect justice. And the reverse is true. That if, if we have perfect justice, it will help lead to a perfect kingdom. That without right and wrong and, and wrongs being made right, you can't have a perfect kingdom as God is setting up. So so wouldn't you know it, God is all about justice and pursuing justice and wanting justice. Jesus paints a picture of what this looks like in what are called the Beatitudes. Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 5, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, he goes through eight Beatitudes. These are things that we should be focusing on. Like he said, these are the attitudes you should have. Here's what he says: eight things, uh, eight ways that that wrongs will be made right again. Here's what he says. He starts in verse three. We won't go through all of them. We'll do the beginning and the end, just so you can get a, get the bookends of them. He starts by saying this: "Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven." Listen, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who are who are downtrodden and and uh, and broken and kind of the the lowly of the world, because ready, they will get the kingdom. Like, they're going to get it all. In, in God's grand scheme of justice, they're going to get everything. He goes through, blessed are the, blessed are the, blessed are the, and then he comes to verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Here's what you should do. Ready? Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Then when people persecute you, insult you, this is nothing new. This has happened throughout time. And also, ready, to rejoice because you just wait. You just wait. The reward in heaven that is waiting for you is great, so much greater than what you're experiencing. than the insults and the, and the persecution. So rejoice. be glad because you are going to have a great reward. In God's plan for justice, he will make wrongs right again. And he didn't just preach justice. He performed justice. When Jesus was on earth, he didn't just talk about justice. He actually did it. And he did it in a way that maybe you've never really thought about before. And so maybe this will challenge you. I hope it does. The way he carried out justice, ready, was through miracles. Miracles was Jesus making wrong things right again in individual people's lives and doing so supernaturally. That there is a wrong in their life of some kind, and not even to their fault. It's not because they did something wrong. And it's just a result of the, of sin, of the fall, of corruption. And so like, maybe they're blind or they can't walk or whatever it may be. And Jesus makes that wrong thing right by carrying out justice through miracles this was one of his purpose statements when when he gets invited to preach at one of the synagogues um he uh, he shows up because he's you know at this point he's he's a traveling kind of preaching rabbi a clearly clearly um they don't know who he is exactly but this is a wise teacher so they he comes in they hand him a scroll and he opens it up isaiah and he and he comes to this passage in luke chapter 4 verse 18 he reads this the spirit of the lord is on me because he he has anointed me to proclaim good news the gospel to the poor here it is ready this is justice now this is his mission statement he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners those who are who are prisoners not like because they committed a crime but those who are in prison of their the prison of sin that i'm going to free them and recovery of sight for the blind those who are blind i'm gonna i'm gonna restore their sight and to to set the oppressed free. Those who are being oppressed, I'm also going to free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. God, miracles are God intervening and making wrong things right again. That we see Jesus, Jesus wanting to make and and to, to restore the things that were wrong and corrupted as they should be life as god wants it to be kingdom minded va- people value justice you and i should value justice anytime we see it when wrongs are made right we should say that's the kingdom good that's justice when 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 um, when people who are oppressed or or victimized or assaulted or like when they get a justice we say okay justice this wrong thing has been made right. One of the greatest, uh, probably the, the greatest sense of, of justice, and we could argue about like, how far reaching it was, um, is the justice that we found when, when, when the United States abolished slavery. S- listen, slavery was a worldwide accepted practice for thousands of years. Every culture in history has practiced slavery. And then our country, of course, is no exception. And then some people came along and said, this is wrong. And do you know who those people were? We can say politicians all we want, but they just responded to the need. They were Christians. The Christian abolitionists who sought to, uh, to, uh, to get rid of slavery did so because they said, this is wrong. And God wants this wrong righted and fixed. And so they pursued justice, not because, of like from a sense of humanitarianism, well, we just want to do what's right for people. It's because they have a deep conviction, a faith conviction that this is not right. And so we, we are going to pursue the justice in this and we're going to pursue abolishing slavery because even, the, I, I heard this last week and I'm like, man, that's so amazing. That even even when every, the whole world thought it was okay and it was right and it was practiced and it was like fine, it was just the way of the world. It had been for thousands of years. Who's going to change this? Even in that moment when everyone says it's, it's right and acceptable, it was still wrong. And there were still people who would say, no, 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 but this isn't right. You can say it. Society can say this is right. It's still wrong. And it was their sense of justice that carried them on to 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 pursue making this wrong thing right again. Anytime we see justice carried out, we should say, this is, this is at, at the core of God's heart is justice. Making wrong things right again. Kingdom-minded people value justice. But not only that, kingdom-minded value people value restoration. This is now the, kind of the follow-up to justice of, alright, now let's, now let's not just make wrong things right again. Let's let's actually restore what was broken. Let's not just stop the injustice. Let's actually make it better. And so we see this um, uh, um, happen throughout the Bible. In fact, we can say the theme of the entire Bible, like if you read this cover to cover, the theme of this Bible is restoration, is restoring God's creation to what it was before the fall, before sin. Isn't it interesting that the Bible begins with a garden, and at the end, it ends with a garden. It ends with the same trees even. And, 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 and we can say everything in the middle is this, ready? It's restoration. It's God restoring the effects of the fall and of sin in our lives and getting us to a point where we're, he's dealt with sin and now it's like, now it's life as it should be, as, I, as it's supposed to be. We see in Revelation chapter 21, at the end, end of all things, we see that God is going to restore things to how they're supposed to be. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And here it is, ready? He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Wonderful, great. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. In God's grand scheme, he's saying, listen, I'm going to take care of all of that. I'm promising justice, but I'm promising restoration. I'm going to restore life to how it should be. And you and I will get to a point where all of the, all of the heartache that we're experiencing in life, all of the, the negative, all of the sin and the, and the struggle and the, the mourning and the pain, all of that, he says, I'm going to take care of. I'm going to make it right. And then he adds this for the old order of things has passed away. How things used to be is now gone and I've restored it now to how it's supposed to be, how it will be now forever. The theme of restoration is throughout the Bible. It's what God wants. It's, what, it's, why, he, it's why he sent Jesus to restore us into right relationship with him. So anytime we see restoration, we should celebrate and say, this is amazing. It's probably why a lot of us like uh, like fixer-upper shows, right? We like you see the before and after, you're like, oh, I just love a good fixer-upper. <laughs> you are like, I mean, not for my personal home. I don't want, that's a lot of work. But I love seeing other people work at making a really bad home, a nice home. And, and, and we love before and afters, right? As long as the after is better than the before. And, and, and this is true in all areas because we're like, yeah, that's how it's supposed to be. Man, I see potential in that. And that's, yes, here it is, realize. And, and God is saying that with you going, yes, there's, this is you, you're the before still. And, and I'm working to get you the after and there's so much potential here and just let me work on you and you're gonna get here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make this, listen, I, there's, I, I, don't, I don't know all of you, I know a lot of you, there's no bigger fixer-upper than you. And God is working on you, saying, all right, that's my job. Wait till you see the end of this episode. <laughs> God loves restoration. We celebrate restoration. When, when, when marriages get restored that are on the, on the brink, we celebrate. This is amazing. When, when relationships get, get healed that are broken, man, this, 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 that's the kingdom showing up. That's restoration. Like, this is incredible this is this is stuff god works in we sh- we hear these stories and we say that's incredible that's wonderful i i know of guys that were you know addicted to drugs and all kinds of stuff and their life got changed and they they got out of that and man what a what a story of restoration god has done in your life kingdom-minded people we value justice we value restoration and then the third Kingdom minded people value and we could use a lot of this kingdom-minded people value joy. Joy is one of the things Jesus talked a lot about that that we maybe we just forget or we just gloss over or the cares of the world and the struggles we have and on all the things around us just kind of bring us down we forget about the joy that we have access to. Joy is, a, is something that Jesus preached about he told parables about he talked about the, the lost coin the lost sheep the lost son and he says the joy that over like the, the end of every one of those stories is the joy of the person who found the coin or found the sheep or, or the got his son back in John 15 Jesus says this I have told you this so that my joy may be in you that Jesus like I'm giving you my joy and here it is ready that your joy may be complete what? what does complete joy look like? I don't know, but whatever it is, I want it. Whatever complete joy is, Jesus says, I'm gonna give you complete joy. I'm in, I'm in. There's nothing negative, there's nothing bad about complete joy. Having full joy. When, when um, this is for good or for bad, really for bad, this is not something we're known for. As Christians, we're not known as a church The church, like big C church. We're not known for joy. If you go talk to any non-Christian friends you have, especially ones that are maybe critical of church or had experiences with church and left or whatever, their their description of church is not, man, they're just they're just so full of joy. All of them. Here's what they say: they're so full of judgment. All of them. We're good at that. We're good at judgment. Joy. Like being known for joy. Could you imagine if we were a church and and we are people known for joy? Like, I don't know what's going on over there. I don't know what they're drinking in the water, but man, they're so joyful. Ooh, that is the kingdom showing up a little bit. To be known for joy. John 16, a chapter later, Jesus says this. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief, here's the promise, will turn to joy. This is more justice and more restoration. And then he says this, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child was brought into the world. That's amazing. And if um, we've had four kids, I say we, my wife said four kids. Uh, I was in the room, I helped, you know. (laughs) hold a hand you know like you can do it honey good job and and you know without getting into it the our first son was born and without like epidural the drugs and stuff there's a whole story and it was like okay this is natural here we go and and the pain was i mean uh, the pain i felt was excruciating (laughs) it's unbelievable right and in in all honesty it was one of those like can we just get this over with what is going on and then the baby's born and it's like, oh, but look at this. Like there's still, the pain's still there and there's still recovery, of course, but you're going, but look at this baby. And, and I think, I think it's wonderful. I think God gives a kind of a, a holy forgetfulness for, for women because you go through that whole experience and you have a child and I'm going like, I'll, I don't ever want to do this again or even be in the room. Like, this is crazy. And, and, the, and the wife eventually goes, we should have another one. Do you remember the first one? Do you remember what that was like? you want to do that again? You're like, yeah, it wasn't so bad. It wasn't so bad. Because the joy of a child, right? You go through the pain for the joy. And the joy that this child brings you, this temporary pain, and this joy that you get from this child for the next 10 to 12 years, max, is amazing. It's wonderful. <laughs> So Jesus says this, verse 22. So with you, now is your time of grief, just like childbirth. But I, listen, I will see you again and you will rejoice. And here's the deal. No one will take away your joy. Listen, this is the promise he gives us. No one's going to take away that joy. You'll grieve. You're going to experience pain, and eventually, my father's going to wipe your tears and going to take care of all of it. So hold on to that and wait, because just I'm telling, you, just wait. The day of joy is coming. You can experience joy even now in anticipation for what that perfect, complete joy looks like. Oswald Chambers talks about joy. Oswald Chambers he wrote, "My utmost first highest." Uh, I, I think it was the first book I ever got out like I got the Bible and then someone's like hey here's a devotional and it's my utmost first highest and, and if I'm sure tons of us have probably read that I feel like maybe it's like required reading for new Christians because it's just like here you go and you know every day I'm reading this thing and here's, here's what Oswald Chambers says happiness depends on what happens joy does not There's a difference between happiness and joy. What we're we're talking about is not, I'm happy in this moment. Well, that's sure, but that will fade. We know that fades because just wait a little bit and eventually you get to a point where now I'm not happy. But joy, deep down joy, even in the midst of pain and grieving, Jesus tells us, no, 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 but listen, you can still have joy and know God's plan for your future to give you comfort even in the midst of hardship c.s lewis another i think uh, essential reader he wrote m- a number of things mere christianity is probably i, I remember reading that being like i got to read this every single year this is amazing if you haven't read that you just i'm um, you need to go buy it right now mere christianity c.s lewis he writes this i sometimes wonder whether all pleasures are just simply not substitutes for joy that all the pleasures of the world, he's like, I wonder if every single, like enjoying things that people like pleasure or enjoyment, whether it be food or sports or whatever, everything is just a, a trying, to, trying to make its way, trying to just kind of compete with and fill up and fill in for joy. That it's just all a substitute for this deep down joy, this kind of this pursuit of, of always trying to be happy. He's like, man, I wonder if all of that is just, trying to fill the, the role of joy. G.K. Chesterton, I'm reading him right now, and he's, he's another heavyweight theologian. He wrote this, joy is the gigantic secret of the Christian. This is amazing. <laughs> that of all the things you and I get to deal with, and, and like however we're described, or whatever people think about us, there is a secret that they don't know. And when they see it, it's, it's this like puzzling kind of, what, what, is, what is different with this person? oh, you know what that is? That's joy. That whatever they think about us, but like when you exp- like we have this deep down inner joy that is un- like kind of unexplainable by the world standards, and when they get a peek of it, it's sort of, man, there's something different about you. Yeah, I have joy. Joy, joy, joy. Deep down in my heart, I have joy. <laughs> right? We got songs about it. I mean, this, this, this becomes like kingdom-minded people value justice. We value restorations and we value joy, being a, a joy-filled people that we, we talk about and, and are overcome and, and exhibit joy. So, as we close, if you obey the Jesus Creed, here's the deal, ready? Here's what this, this, all of this gets us to. Expect God to transform you. That's what we're talking about. If you're serious about the Jesus Creed and you're following the Jesus Creed, then expect God to make you a different person. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17 says this. This is one of the, I think, the second or third verse that I ever memorized. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. and Behold, the new has come. If anyone is in Jesus, Paul writes, then they are a different person, a new creation. That old way, the old them is gone, and now there's a new that is here. That we call transformation. That if you obey this, if we're all in with loving God and loving others, all right, I'm in, Jesus, I'm following you, then expect God to transform you. Now, now, let me be careful. This isn't, well, I'll just try harder. I'll just be a better person. It sounds like I'm just supposed to be better. Well, well, I mean, the answer is yes, but how can you get to a point where you're like good enough, where you're like, I, I'm, I've gotten so good, I'm actually perfect now, Lord. Wouldn't you believe? It's amazing, right? You, you at least got one of us right. <laughs> good job. You can never get to the point where you're 100% perfect. So you can, see, you can always say, I'm working on myself, working on myself, and you'll always be working on yourself. So you gotta get to a point where you say, all right, Lord, it's not me just trying to be better. Instead, I'm gonna let you Transform me. I'm gonna let you work on me and on my heart. Ooh, now we're talking. Now, like Jesus says, the kingdom is within. Now we're experiencing real kingdom of God stuff when He's when He is transforming you. So our, our homework is the same. Memorize the Jesus Creed. Memorize it. And then recite it twice a day. Recite it in the morning. Recite it in the evening. When you wake up, if if it's hard for you to remember, set it on your alarm, on your watch or your phone or just let remind you. And the goal isn't, it's not like some magic, you know, incantation where, hey, just go recite this and like, you know, God, like a genie is going to make your day perfect. Of course not. It's none of that. Instead, what it does is it orients your mind to be thinking about loving God and loving others. You wake up. All right, Lord. I want to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Okay, I want to do that and then love your neighbors yourself. This is the second one. Okay all right, Lord, who, how am I going to love you today and who else am I going to love? And you go to bed and you remind yourself, all right, how, 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 Lord, I feel like I, maybe I did a good love in you today, but man, I could have been more loving to this person or that person, right? I, ah, I totally missed that opportunity. I messed that up. The goal is to remind yourself to always be thinking about what Jesus calls the most important commandments in all of scripture and to say, all right, Lord, I want to do that. Would you stand with me as as we pray and worship the Lord here together? So Lord, as we continue to think about and work through the Jesus Creed and look at the implications of what it looks like in our lives, will you make all of us, all of us here, more kingdom-minded in our daily life? That we would be thinking, not about our own little kind of kingdoms that we're building. Instead, the kingdom. We will be looking at how we can help experience and expand the kingdom of God by sharing you and by by loving you and by loving others. Lord, help us this week to do that very thing. We give you permission to transform us, to change us to the person you want us to be. Forgive us when we make mistakes and we, we mess up don't ever let us go. We love you, Lord. We thank you. And we pray that we would continue to experience more of your kingdom this week. In Jesus' name, amen.